So I'm stoked to have both Jason and Tamara on the podcast today. So uh, we made a pretty big announcement the other day. We're all joining together and we're doing this uh, course. It's called Ready for Launch, the PMM's guide to product launches on Maven. And I don't know about you guys, but like as a creator, there's some things that I do like just doing myself, like having like my own thing. Mm. Healthy competition is one of them. I'm pretty like protective of like the brand and the way I like to do things. But as I was thinking about courses, I did a course last year, Competitive Intel 201 on Maven. And I got to say, it was kind of a lonely experience, even though it was like a cohort course. I loved like uh, being around a group, but I don't know about you guys, but I've loved working on this course with other people like other admins other course creators like how has it been for you guys i think it's been awesome i think the one thing that i really like is as a solo operator of my own business it's like when you work on launches now you're just doing it yourself and we've all come from companies where you get to work on launches with a team and all that so it's cool like when yes we're doing a course course about launches and it's kind of meta but like we've worked on our own launch and we're working on a launch and so it's a it's cool to do it with like multiple people, um, especially like three product marketers, which is kind of cool. Totally. I also think like each of us have our own passion, right? And so, uh, it, but launch is such a nebulous thing. It isn't just one of those areas of product marketing. Like you actually kind of need to nail all parts of it to have a really successful launch. So what I've loved is I've already learned so much about like, oh, what should I be doing before my launch from a competitive perspective? How do I actually like enable the stakeholders, things that Jason's really great at? So I think it's really cool that we're able to bring all three of our passion areas together in one spot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so we'll talk more about the course in general, but I thought it'd be cool to bring Jason and Tamara onto the pod and just talk about product launches in general, right? So we've all had careers as product marketers, launching tons of different products at our companies. And so I thought it'd be cool to talk about some notable launches, like behind the scenes, what worked, what didn't, what we learned, and then also talk through maybe some cool launches that we've seen from companies that we haven't worked out, uh, worked at, excuse me. And so trying to figure out, okay, like, yeah, what got our attention as product marketers, what really worked what didn't work. I think there's a couple that we want, we might want to touch on that we thought, eh, maybe they could have done some some other things to make it go a bit better. But in either case, that's kind of on the docket today. So Jason, do you want to jump in and just give us like a one minute background on you? Sure. I have spent my career as a what I call a founding PMM. Every one of my product marketing roles has been me coming in as starting as a solo product marketer and building the function from there. So I today run a company or a business called Productive PMM. And I focus on coaching, building products and, and inspiration just for founding product marketers. It's kind of my niche that I focus on. And so, yeah, you probably see me on LinkedIn. I talk a lot about product marketing and uh, I have a few different products and stuff for product marketers, founding PMMs specifically. Yeah, I took the leap about six months ago, started doing my own thing. And, and here we are. And here we are. Beautiful. Yeah. Tamara, what about you? Yeah, so for me, I've always been a champion and advocate for strategic product marketing. And I think... A lot of people would be, yeah, I also believe in strategic product marketing, but I've always been like to the extreme about it. So I talk a lot about that um, spectrum of executional product marketing to strategic product marketing. Totally recognize that if you're in a spot where you're like a solo PMM, you sometimes don't have the choice. But in my career, I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time focusing on some of the more strategic parts. So led a lot of product marketing teams, was the chief strategy officer at Unbound. So really, how do we as product marketers 
plan business growth across different time horizons. In order to do that, we need to master things like segmentation, pricing and packaging value, positioning value. And of course, how do we bring that value to the market through compelling launches? So uh, I took the leap also to doing my own thing. So I run a business called PMM Camp now. It's basically a place for strategic product marketers to get content about how to become more strategic. I run a newsletter. And then I also have a private community for uh, senior product marketers and above. Reason being is that those are really the folks that typically have both the skill set and the bandwidth to actually execute on those strategies and, and deliver those strategies. And so, you know, product launch, obviously a huge component of that. Um, I think one of the things that people miss is how do we actually define our audience? Are we actually being intelligent about how we're pricing and packaging our features when we bring them to market? So I'm going to put all of Jason and Tamara's information in the show notes. And so you can see all the stuff that they're working on and make sure that you follow them. But yeah, we're really excited about this course. Pretty much the way that we're breaking it down is, you know, I'm going to come in and talk through, you know, market and competitive research that goes into a launch. That's going to be one of the days. Tamara is then going to talk about segmentation, pricing and packaging and positioning. And then Jason's going to take one of the last days and talk through launch execution, enablement, measurement and optimization. Uh, and so it's going to be really cool. Really looking forward to chatting through uh, these kind of like launch tactics and what we've learned throughout the years uh, and talking about with a bunch of other product marketers. But like I said, I really wanted to take this interview and kind of pull the curtain back and talk through some really cool product launches that we've all been a part of. I think that's the big thing that is missing in product marketing in general. We all see like the big end moment, like when we're posting about the big launch, but we really don't see what goes on behind the curtain. And usually there's a lot of hecticness and positive energy to excitement. So at Clue, one of the last launches that I worked on was we were acquiring DoubleCheck, a win-loss services provider. And so the interesting thing with this launch is, one, it was an acquisition, but two, it was a mostly a services-based acquisition, like you're acquiring a services company and coming from product, Right. And it's a product, like Clue is a product company. I come from a product background. So to bring in like a service business and try to launch that and position that, and it was an interesting process. And so one thing that I've, I learned from this is that in my opinion, it really isn't that much different. And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, it is still a product in a sense. There's still positioning, you need messaging, you need to enable a sales team on how to pitch it. There are so many components that it's very similar to launching a product, but you know, it's one of those things where as a, I found as a product company, one of the things we tried to do was like, you, you don't have anything to show, right? Like you don't have a product, <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't have the images. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like a hard thing when I'm used to doing like, okay, well, I'm going to have a landing page on it. I'm going to have a product video or an interactive yeah. demo or something like that. Right. So it was like an interesting kind of challenge. And one of the things that we did was it was how do you take win loss as a, a service, but also showed like within the clue product, how it would come to life in clue in the launch post and some of the launch assets, we actually took what a, a typical win-loss exec summary would be. And we brought it in and showed what that might look like in Clue in like an exec summary battle card or a win-loss dashboard mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. It was cool to be like, okay, even though this is a services company, it's like, how do we, we try to bring it to life in our product and in, in a way kind of productize it while at the same time, the goal was to try to show a vision of what it would eventually look like in our product. Right? Like, how would we eventually productize this? That was kind of the idea. One of the other things that I found interesting about this is like, you also with an acquisition, and I think Andy, you'll probably talk about an acquisition too, but it's like when you're going through an acquisition, especially with Clue, it's like we had the Clue platform and now we were bringing on DoubleCheck. Like in a way you had to figure out, okay, well, this is like a brand new 
company we're bringing on board with Clue, who at that point hadn't acquired anything else. So it's like, how does this change the narrative? Like, how does it change how we position our product? And so we had to figure out how, what this new story looked like. And this visual was kind of like how we explained it in a nutshell. And so putting this together was a process of like, how do we succinctly and simply explain now what is Clue that we've acquired Double Check? What is an acquisition like this and bringing on a, a completely new service into the company, like adding a new, you know, for anyone who's adding a new product, a lot of times, because I hear it all the time from people, it's like, okay, now we have maybe multiple products under an umbrella. What does that mean for how we position our platform as a whole? And so what we ended up doing here is, as you can see, this this is meant to show that, okay, when it comes to your go-to-market, the, the narrative we kind of ended up on was core to your go-to-market is you need three different types of, of intelligence. You need market intelligence, competitive intelligence, and buyer intelligence. And so we would tell this story around how Clue at the time, we were covering competitive intelligence and market intelligence because we were helping you kind of monitor your competitive and market landscape and all of that. But the missing piece was this buyer intelligence piece. And then the fourth component of it is like, once you have all that, you need to turn it into insights and get it out across your company. So the org-wide enablement. And so we were able to say then is, yeah, there are other win-loss providers out there, but there's no platform that brings it all together in one place and allows you to have win-loss, competitive intelligence, and market intelligence combined into one platform and then gives you the tools to enable your whole company with it. It was cool to, to kind of figure out what that new narrative was going to be. And Clue, anyone who knows Clue, competitive enablement platform and competitive enablement was our category. And it was like a challenging thing to think about, hey, like, what does this mean now? Are we still competitive enablement? Do we become something different? And it was like a struggle to try to figure out what we we're going to do there. So... Obviously, you know, I'm a long time Clue user, customer. Yep. I remember, obviously, Jason, we've been friends forever. I remember when this launched and I remember being like, all in one. That's so cute and clever. I loved that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, 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 okay. So naming products is hard and it's contentious. And I like, I remember when it came out thinking, gosh, I wonder if people hated that internally or if everyone was like, we're so funny. <laughs> Okay, yeah. walk us through how you came up with All-in-One. Yeah. So All-in-One was was Ben. Like, I'm pretty sure it was uh, on our content team, Ben. Producer Ben? Yeah, producer Ben. It was just a brainstorm and we were thinking about it. Because the funny thing is the All-in-One compete platform, that's the All-in-One part is it's kind of a play on words. It's really not the name of the product at the end of the day, but we landed on that and we were just like, because I think at first it went from All-in-One to All-in-Win, and then someone was like, why not all in one? And then, and well, yeah, and just, just to clarify, the because the visual here, it's all in one W-O-N, not O-N-E. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, if I go, you know, if you go to the, the Clue homepage today, competitive enablement is still a big part of, of the way that they describe the category, I believe. But yeah, the compete platform, they, it, it kind of transitioned into that because we were like, hey, we're more than just competitive enablement now. It's starting to become a bigger thing. I think that there's something to be said too about just like a good visual representation of something like even yeah. when you don't have uh, like you said like a product to actually like uh, showcase like this services component that was added in this reminds me of like that Ikigai have you seen have you seen the Ikigai map where it's like uh, what you love what you're good at what you can be paid for what the world needs and it like all comes well, together and to, into like whatever your Ikigai is. Uh, that, yeah. That's kind of like what this reminds me of. And so like I automatically when I saw this, I was like, oh, I, I totally understand kind of what they're going for. Um, anyway, yeah. all that to say is I feel like there is like such an opportunity to like 
visually or graphically represent kind of like your vision? Yeah, it was uh, like this graphic took a while to get to. But one of the great things that it did, to your point there, is it's like it made it a very good positioning tool as well because we were able to say, you know, this circle over here that says buyer intelligence, no other vendor in our space, like no one else that you're probably evaluating right now has that. They might integrate well and they might have good partnerships with them, but there's no one that has it all in one company. And so it was a, as a positioning tool as well, it was good. Nice. This is a yeah. great start. Awesome uh, background on the launch here, Jason. Let's let's jump over to Tamara. For me, I'm going to talk one from Kajabi. And it's actually funny because it's probably, it feels like a small launch, but it was a massive launch. And it was something that led to a lot of value for the business, even though we kind of saw it as a side project. So that's why I chose it today. So I get to Kajabi. For those that don't know, Kajabi's a commerce platform for creators. So if you're a creator and you want to build digital products, you can do so. Very mature product. It's been around for a decade. But of course, now it's trying to become modern. What is one of those ways? Incorporating AI, right? So this would have been January of this year. Even, okay, let's say end of last year. Uh, ChatGPT comes out. We already have started talking about AI. We know we want to integrate AI into the Kajabi app for products to or for customers to use natively when they're building their products. So imagine you're creating a new course, or um, you're working with like a, a in your community, and you want to have a prompt. We'll use AI to help create that content. But we're not there yet. Like AI takes a long time to build from an engineering and data per, um, perspective. So I'm working with the teams and the initial request from the product team was, can you start testing positioning and messaging early so that by the time the product is ready, we feel a bit more confident. And my product marketing team, we chatted about it and we said, we actually think we can take this one step further. What if we created a whole product outside of the app? And not only did we test product and messaging, but we can actually test product use case as well. So we can you know, work with you to tell you where we should actually prioritize the product roadmap, not just how to message that roadmap. So we created the idea of the, crea the AI creator hub. And what we did was we started with one use case. An engineer was able to spin it up in like 48 hours. It was amazing. Cool. We built a really simple landing page that was just on our .com. So it was not connected to the app at all. And we actually shared it in our Facebook group. So we had a really powerful customer community that's run on Facebook. We shared it and it was like a course outline generator. And we're like, hey, test this out. Give us feedback. People loved it. I mean, there's always haters, right? Haters going to hate. But most people were like, really interested. And we started to see that the people who were especially interested were the new to content creators. So like they've never created a course before. They haven't really gotten started on Kajabi. They're just like puttering around maybe at a loss. The people who had negative comments were our more sophisticated and mature customers. <laughs> so that gave us like really strong signal on customer segmentation early. So then we said, hey, let's go back. And what would it take for this to be a product, a free product. We knew that we wanted to launch it for free. We knew we wanted it to be on the dot-com and we were able to come up with six core use cases that the product team was able to scope for us. And they were able to build as essentially side projects on top of the work they were already doing, like bless them. Uh, we designed the landing page and essentially the end product was this 
AI hub, you would go, you could access it completely for free. That was really important to us uh, because it was all about getting at this point, like awareness, word of mouth. I was hoping for publicity and I'll get to that in a second. You go, you have the use cases, you can use it. And then once you actually generate like your outline or your sales copy for your email, then we would show you a prompt that says, want to actually do this in Kajabi? Click here to sign up for a trial. So cool. It was broken though. Like it wouldn't be like, oh, I click it and it would generate into Kajabi. You would have to copy and paste it in. Like it was its own product, but it worked. So then we said, okay, what if we also tested a new channel for Kajabi? And this was why I loved this launch so much. Previously, we only really launched products like to the customer base or on our website or through a press release. And so um, I had actually built a bunch of like sidecar products when I was at Unmount and I consider this to be like a sidecar product and we had a lot of success on Product Hunt. And so we did some research for like, there's tons of entrepreneurs, tons of solopreneurs, tons of people who are like product oriented on Product Hunt. Let's test that out. We were able to launch it on Product Hunt. We hit top three product of the day, which was really exciting. It then gave us social proof that we could put back on the landing page. Um, and it was super successful. What actually ended up happening was that that page, the like landing page for the AI Creator Hub, was now the second highest converting page on the entire website after our pricing page. Ooh, that's nice. Wow. And totally. And like, we had no, we just wanted to test some messaging about AI, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, say, what, how did you? So, I've never done a launch on Product Hunt, and it's this was. Did you say this was your first one, or had you done some at Unbounce? I had done a few at Unbounce. Okay. I was. I didn't necessarily lead them or be as involved as I was on this one at Unbounce, but our teams had, and my PMM team at Unbounce had, and so I knew that it was successful. And with Product Hunt, there it's mostly successful if it's um, free or very low cost. They do really okay. well, and if the value is quick to value. So this isn't something where you're going to launch an enterprise product, but I hmm. knew that our product was free and that the value you could get within 60 seconds of going. So yeah. and it, was, cool. it was relatively early too. I mean, you said that it was like end of last year. So you guys hopped on like to the chat GPT hype pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was before Christmas, we started talking about it. We launched in March, this entire hub fully on product hunt. Nice. Is it still live? Like it's still there it's for still you. Live. Yeah. So if you go to the Kajabi website and you go to the footer, you can link out to like AI creator hub. What I love about this is I find that a lot of time, like this idea of making it easier to buy now, like obviously it's very easy, like, you know, Kajabi has a free trial, but even for companies that are product led, you can get in and try it out. Like it's still, there's still so much upfront work that people need to have to do. And, you know, if you, to really like see the value of Kajabi, you need to get in and get a course up. Totally. You need to start making money off the platform. And so it's um, what I love is like making it easy to buy. Yes, you want to like it, it involves a ton of different things. But if you're a sales like company, a lot of times it's like, how do you enable your champion to sell something internally? Well, it's like if it's a if it's a PLG product and it's something like this, it's like, how do you make it super easy for them to get their MVP up and to see what it looks like in the platform and how they, you know, Get them as close as possible to making money without actually like putting money in their <laughs> I don't know how you could do that, but it's that's uh, so it's true. Cool. And I feel that that's like the thing that stops people from actually 
taking that step and like making the course it's like these like small little like paper cuts where it's like oh god like what am i now what am i gonna like say on social media okay what about this landing page i have no idea what to put on a landing page like okay and then you you like spend time like overthinking this stuff so to have something essentially help you get like 95 percent of the way there that really i'm sure like improves like the whole conversion process like you were talking about tamara totally And it's like, people have that fear of like the blank page. You sit there and you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, like I have all these ideas in my head. Where do I start? This is overwhelming. Versus once we could start to show them. And that's why like the outline generator actually was our most successful tool in the hub. When you look Mm -hmm. at the outline generator, you're like, okay, I have this idea. Like imagine we even put our idea in. It's like, I have an idea to build a course about how product marketers can build amazing product launches, right? it's going to give you an outline. And to be honest, like it's hit or miss, right? Like we've all used AI, but what it's going to do is it's going to immediately give you something to react to. You're going to say, Hey, yeah, that's amazing. Or, Oh, I wouldn't probably include that in my course. I would include this instead. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, I want to get into it. I want to start writing and building. And so we've almost solved one of the major objections that a customer has before they've even hit start a trial which is yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like, and that's why I think sidecar products are great because in a lot of cases, they are something that, like I think of like another one is like a fellow app launched mm-hmm. a cost of meeting calculator. Yes. Right? It's one of their side oh, yeah. products. And it, again, it's like helping people overcome, maybe it's an objection, maybe it's how they sell it internally, but it's like in order to invest money in a meet, platform that, or a tool that helps you run more efficient meetings, it's like, it helps to know how much you're wasting on inefficient meetings. So I just like, I really like sidecar products because yeah, it's a cool way to drive as you, you showed, you drive a ton of conversions from it, but it's also just like an ongoing, it's going to be a helpful tool to like remove objections and totally. all that. It's cool. I also think it can help prime the market. And this is what I've always loved about free products is your free products. You don't need to launch them to your target ICP. You could launch them to adjacent ICPs, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, without giving too much away, Kajabi is a fairly mature product for creators. It's probably not the first product a creator might go to if they've like never created anything or made a dollar before, right? Like it's for serious creators. And so you could argue that someone who doesn't even know what their course is going to be about might not be the best fit for Kajabi. My argument was, okay, but then if they don't choose Kajabi, they're going to choose someone else. So how do we build affinity with them early? The moment that they're even thinking about creating a course, let's take them to the course outline generator. Let's have them remember that Kajabi helped them with that. They love our brand. They love the value we gave them. Maybe they're not ready today, but they're going to wait. And then three months from now, six months from now, when they're ready, ideally they come back to us at Kajabi rather than someone else. And so they're able to slowly pull in some adjacent markets while I'll say the AI that we were building in app was more sophisticated and more developed for our target ICP. That's super smart. And I think about that all the time, like as it relates to, um, I mean, like specific creator tools, I think Riverside is a great example of that too. Like you have like these kind of tools that you almost aspire to use at one point. Um, And like, because you know that a lot of the, your favorite companies or other creators or other product marketers, maybe that you are really, inspired by they use these tools but hey like you don't have the budget for it you're not quite ready for it yet and you like recognize that but you know that hey it'd be cool to be to be able to use this like a year from now 
And so like specifically with Riverside, you know, I was using Zoom because it was like the free option. I wasn't making any money on on healthy competition stuff. A year and a half later, it's like, okay, I think I have some budget to put $20 a month into Riverside. It's like, it's like one of those things that as long as like the seed is planted early, you know, you can you can still get the customer. It's just going to be like, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a ways out. Exactly. That's yeah. cool. There's a company that, uh, so they were a company that did legal software. They're called Rally or they were known as Rally and they did, yeah, it was basically software for lawyers. They started to, I don't, I'm not even sure if it's fully launched yet, but they're like in pre-launch phase of an AI product that was called Spellbook and it was part of Rally and it was kind of like a side, a side product to it. Anyways, it, it became so popular. It became so an overwhelming success that they're not even really, now they're really more so known as Spellbook than they are Rally and it's just uh... interesting. I like those side, especially with AI, I just find like some of these side products now are almost like taking over their main, in some cases, their main product. Um, so anyways, yeah. A hundred percent. And I feel, so uh, the two launches that I picked, it's funny, mine, one of them was an acquisition. So kind of like Jason's and the other one was AI. So kind of like Tamara's. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go through, I'll go through like high level of both of them. The first one was the acquisition was when I was at Zoom Info. So um when Zoom Info acquired Chorus. And a little bit of context, Zoom Info is a sales intelligence product, essentially a database to help you uh, make sure you have accurate contacting company information when you're trying to sell or market to other businesses. And then Chorus is a conversation intelligence tool that, you know, adds very basic levels, you know, helps you uh, record sales conversations and derive insights from customers and try to improve your sales process. So this is a really big deal, this acquisition, because it was one of the first scenarios where you're kind of like melding a couple of different go-to-market categories, sales intelligence and conversation intelligence. And so really big acquisition. Zoom Info at the time, I think was like 2,000 employees and Chorus was like 200. And so not only were we like you know talking about this like uh, melding of categories, but it was also melding two different companies, you know, mm. two different cultures and leadership and, and all that kind of stuff. And so there was more to the launch than just, you know, your, your traditional, like create some marketing materials and enable the field, but it was also making sure that you are respecting the brand that had been built over the past, you know, however many years. And you're also taking into consideration all the work that they had done to establish themselves as a notable player in the conversation intelligence space. And so Tons of cross-functional work required, you know, by like the Zoom Info and Chorus teams to really understand, okay, what is the conversation intelligence space, right? Because we're going into this brand new category and especially me in competitive Intel, it was like, all right, cool. I, I feel like I have a pretty good sense for what's happening in the sales intelligence space with Zoom Info's competitors, but now we have to figure out, okay, how, how does Chorus play in the conversation intelligence space? How can we continue to position them? in a favorable way. And also, what does that mean for Zoom Info? Like, when do we talk about Zoom Info versus Chorus? And so it posed like really interesting challenges and opportunities, obviously. Um, and I think the biggest opportunity, which I felt like went really well, was the enablement piece, right? Because after everything's said and done, uh, we put together marketing materials and we uh, had like all the PR uh, was set. The biggest area for opportunity was in Zoom Info's existing customer base. At the time, there was about 20,000 customers with Zoom Info. And the nearest competitor in the conversation intelligence space had around 2,000 customers. 
And so the big opportunity with Zoom Info was, okay, like we can just sell into our existing customer base uh, chorus and we can potentially beat whoever the biggest competitor in the uh, conversation intelligence space is just by, it, by virtue of selling into our into Zoom Info's customer base. Hopefully that wasn't too convoluted. But no. so enablement was huge there and making sure that everyone really understood like the value of chorus. Um, and so in either case, that was... A huge launch, very stressful, but I think it worked out really well and it was it was a lot of fun. I yeah. think there's something cool that you just mentioned there though, which was it sounds like you needed to make a decision about the audience for launch, right? I think a lot of people go into a product launch and one of the biggest mistakes I see is they're like, this is for everyone. Like we're launching it to the market, we're launching it to customers, we're putting equal effort everywhere versus the launches where I've seen perform the best have a very specific goal. Like, yes, you need to update your website. Yes, there's going to be some general activities that will happen, but like, are you trying to drive expansion revenue within your customer base of 200,000 customers? 20,000 customers? 20. <laughs> 200, that'd be great. That would be nice. <laughs> We're not a PLG product, so. <laughs> or are you trying to drive, you know, acquisition? Or is this a churn, you know, reduction tactic? And I think it's hard to drive a launch that does all three of those things. And so I love... It sounds like you guys made that, you know, cognizant decision that, hey, we're going to prioritize trying to drive expansion and penetration of the customer base. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, that's, that's what you mentioned about knowing the customer and like trying to like really put like a, a lot more emphasis on segmentation. That also leads me into the, the second launch that I want to talk through really quick. So again, at a high level, ClickUp AI. So that the next company I started working for was ClickUp, which is uh, essentially a work management platform. And just like you, Tamara, when we're talking through Kajabi uh, with the AI Creator Hub, earlier this year, you know, we were trying to put together the AI uh, tool for ClickUp. And we were like really, you know, driving towards, uh, I, we had a specific date in mind, but then a competitor actually beat us to market with um, an AI product. And so, you know, kind of bummed us out. But one thing that we did realize, and I think that anybody could realize this if a competitor beats them to market is you can see the things that they do well and the things that they didn't do uh, so well. And so, uh, although I think we would have loved to have been first to market, it did give us a good opportunity to like take a step back and be like, okay, what worked and what didn't with this competitor's launch. And one thing that we realized was that the competitor didn't really do a fantastic job of segmenting and being very specific about who their AI solution was for. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, okay, cool. The opportunity for us is to own like the messaging AI for work. And so we were able to take that and like really drive that messaging throughout all of our um, go-to-market materials. And so did a massive sprint last April, put together tons of materials, did a tiger team in the Slack channel. It was like one of those like all hands on deck uh, scenarios. And so anyway, that was another like really big fun launch that uh, that is definitely top of mind for me. It's cool how your point about how you, you called it AI for work as like looking at, you know, it's not that everything you should do should be anchored in like what your competitor does on a launch prior, but it's, mm -hmm. it's like, you noticed that, and I'm pretty sure I can assume what your what competitor you're talking about, but like they're a plot, they're basically like a project management tool for everybody. And so the use cases are so broad that for you to zero in on for, if you are at a company and you need to get work done and you need AI that'll help you do your job, it's like, that's what this is built for. And it's, 
And it sounds like that worked for you. Absolutely. I mean, it was a, it was a definitely a, a big success for the first uh, couple of months. All the feedback was like Tamara mentioned, you know, you have like the overwhelmingly like, oh, this is awesome. Like super happy. And then you have, you know, the, the batch of people that, you know, I feel like you can't ever please, but in either case, whenever you do like one of those big launches, I'm always super thankful that, you know, you have customers that can give you like these heated opinions because, you know, it helps, you know, drive the future of that product forward. It's always good to have some kind of feedback as opposed to like, you know, crickets, you know, that'd be super unmotivating. That's like the number one thing when I'm doing message testing. If I'm getting like extremes, polar views, then I know I'm onto something. If I'm like, oh, that's fine or no feedback and everyone says that, that's like the biggest red flag when I'm testing messaging ahead of a launch. Totally, totally. Same here. All great launches, all I'm sure that, um, you know, we each lost some sleep with uh, running some of those launches. Yeah, hours. I don't know, know. but product hunt, word to the wise, product hunt, you need a launch at 12.01 PST. So you really lose one whole night of your life. (laughs) Oh my God. Don't they, don't you not know the day they're going to, you're going to get hunted too? Like, isn't it something where like you can't pick the exact time or can you? You can, you choose your own hunter and you hunt it yourself or you get it for you. And then you choose the time. I'm like actually choosing the day. It's very strategic. Um, And then you have to launch at 12.01 and then how you respond to the comments that come in is actually very important. So like you don't just launch it at 12.01 and then go to bed. Like poor Emily, shout out to Emily on my team. She was up and pulled a full all nighter working on that launch. No way. So what is it like 12 o'clock? What, what time zone? Eastern? PST. PST? Mm-hmm. So you'd have to wake up if you're Eastern Damn. time. Yeah. You'd have to at three. Wow. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That'd be challenging. Okay. Let's talk through some launches uh, for outside of uh, our own companies that uh, really got our attention. So um, Jason, you already mentioned one. Did you have another one that you wanted to talk with, that you wanted to talk through? Yeah. I'll talk about one real quick. Um, and uh, I won't need to share my screen, but I'm just going to pull up a... So can this you one... share your screen even if you don't have anything? No, I'm <laughs> I can share my screen. You want me to share my screen? No. Um... Okay. I'm just teasing you. Added benefit, Andy. I agree. So working together on the course. One, you're not lonely. Two, it makes you super competitive. Because now I'm like, my slides have to be better than Jason's. I know, <laughs> for real. I'm like, okay, damn well... it. Can I add a gift to this? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyways, the uh, key play. So do, do you guys know the, you guys familiar with yeah, key play? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with like pure signal and key, like that key play? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So yep. they're, what is this? they're like, they, they refer to themselves as like a, an ABM platform, but they help you with, with data. Like my understanding is it's, it's helping you like gather the data about your ICP so that you can run, you know, very targeted like ABM tar- platform, lists, like ABM yeah. programs, things like that. Now, this is like a, it's a launch, but at the same time, a really good positioning exercise. So their founder, um, Adam Schoenfeld, so he wrote this LinkedIn post and I saw, I saw the LinkedIn post. That was my first uh, look at it. I don't think I was on their email list, but then someone who was subscribed to my newsletter actually sent me the email that he sent out too. And what they did a really great job of was like, while also talking about their launch, they did this great comparison of HubSpot CRM versus Salesforce. And so they were talking about how they were bought into HubSpot. They were like, we're going all in on HubSpot. We just launched Keyplay for HubSpot CRM. And their whole thing was like, we're more like HubSpot. Salesforce is very bloated. It's too expensive. It's more complicated to use. We're, 
we are going all in on HubSpot and we want to be more like HubSpot where our pricing, like where our pricing is more accessible and we want to, so it's, it's really interesting. Like in this, his post here on LinkedIn, it's like, I'm excited to announce key play for HubSpot. Other ABM vendors neglect HubSpot users. So like that line alone is saying like, if you're on HubSpot, you got to look at key play because these other guys are neglecting you. They prioritize mm -hmm. Salesforce customers who pay a hundred thousand plus ACVs and have large rev op teams. They can, the conditions are perfect for their overly complex products, six plus implementation cycles and monster prices. Like that alone just kind of talks about their strategy there with the launch is like one, they're launching an integration with a product, but two, they're almost like comparing themselves to HubSpot and yeah. using the Salesforce versus HubSpot to almost mm -hmm. like be part of their positioning. It's really, it was really cool. I think well done. And the cool thing that I, I, I saw too is in the email that he sent out, it was everything was based on this, it seemed to all drive back to this LinkedIn post. So the LinkedIn post, like the, it did well, but like in the email that I saw, every link in the email was like, get involved in the conversation here. would love to yeah. hear your feedback here. It's like driving everyone back to the LinkedIn post, which I thought was cool. LinkedIn is definitely a, a big part of their strategy for sure. I mean, I remember yeah. like when they announced Pure Signal, which was like their community, like free product before Key Play, and LinkedIn was a huge piece of that. Adam is so smart. I, I I love how they just like went so much further than just like, oh hey, we have a new integration. You know, right. I, I, like it's basic yeah. form. That's what it is. It's an integration announcement, which yeah. I feel like so many other people would just kind of like write that off as just being like, all right, just like, hey, we integrate with HubSpot now, cool, it, and then yeah, like we'd move on. It's an integration announcement, but I think a lot of people in that in that case would be like, we don't integrate with Salesforce or or like we don't want to focus too much. Most people will be like, we have a Salesforce integration. We have a HubSpot integration. We do it mm -hmm. all. We're great. You can use us with anyone, right? And the fact that they're going all in on saying like, we are putting our eggs in the HubSpot basket, I think is really interesting because then they become the like the de facto solution if you're on HubSpot. Yep, absolutely. That's a great. That's a great launch. Totally. I I love most of the launches that KeyPlay does. That's a, that's a great yeah, one. Yeah. I need to research this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely check them out. They're they're yeah, they do cool. some really good marketing. Tamara, Tamara, what's uh what's the launch that you have? Okay, I had two I wanted to chat about, but I thought yeah. like, we should probably talk about Canva Magic. Oh yeah, got to do it. A lot about AI. This just happened. I have some thoughts like. I mean, I don't want to call it an A plus launch, but there's a lot of things I liked. And then there's a lot of things that I'm curious about that obviously not being on their product team, like I don't know, but mm. I'm curious about your thoughts as well. So things I loved, do you guys use Canva, right? Have you yep. seen Canva Magic? So Canva Magic for listeners who don't use Canva is basically their collection of AI products. First thing I love is that they don't use the word AI. <laughs> there is a relationship between the word magic and AI that exists already right? And they are banking on their customer getting that connection. And it, when you actually see it, it's clear that it is AI. So it makes sense. But I just love that they don't have to keep saying AI over and over and over again. Yeah, I think they made really great naming decisions. I think naming, like we were in saying AI for work, right? It's mm -hmm. hard. Like, do you go too outside of the box? Do you label every feature you have that is AI or do you label like the AI that's powering everything? What they've done with- Oh my God, I've in those conversations. <laughs> Where do we put AI this, AI that, everything's AI, yeah. yeah. But what they've done is they've basically said it's every product that they have that's in their AI suite is called magic something. And so it's like magic design, 
magic converter. And the description is like so clear, you know exactly what it's going to do. Like, oh yeah, that's going to design me something using AI. And so I love it because I know that I'm engaging with an AI product because the name has tipped me off, but I also know exactly what I'm going to get from that product. Yeah. Um, the other thing I loved about this, just being a user, is that like they didn't hide Canva magic until the end. This has been like a multi-month campaign. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you know me, big Rolling Thunder fan. So like Canva magic started popping up and I'm sure it looked different for different customers. They would probably have different exposure to different features or products within it. And so you're kind of like, you're part of the beta program. They're getting feedback on it, but you're also starting to know that, oh, wow, AI's coming. I'm open to using that in Canva because I think if I had not used it at all in the product as a user and then just overnight Canva magic showed up and there's like 50 use cases. It's a lot, yeah. would be overwhelmed, right? So I thought Absolutely. that was did a good yeah. job of like priming the market, seeding the market. And packaging too, right? Uh, you know, like like you mentioned, they had like small pieces here and there that you could, I mean, I it's been, it's been there for a yeah. while, like you mentioned. And so you could test out small pieces and then it wasn't until semi-recently. Now they have like, the magic studio, which you can exactly. click into and it's like everything. And yeah. so you're, yeah. they did a really good job of like priming you. So you could really understand like the potential of it. And then if you had a good experience with like that one small thing, then you're probably more inclined to be like, okay, like what's, what else, what else you got? I'm, I'm ready to check it all yeah. out as opposed to be like super overwhelmed with like one massive launch with a bunch of different use cases. Like so much, uh, like I'm a user of their product. Whenever I go to canva.com, I never go to their website. Like it just takes you straight into the product. Yeah. Like there's no homepage for Canva for me anymore. It's everywhere. Like okay. it's it's like the main banner there up top. Like there's this cool little animation whenever yeah. you put your browser, like your cursor over it. But it's like very front and center. And the one thing I had noticed too, like before a week or two before, they they do a really good job of having events, like launch events. Mm -hmm. And they were promoting that. So I was like, what's Magic Studio? This is like, it's coming? Like, what is this? And it was like a chance to sign up for the launch event. I attended one of their launch events before and they are no joke. They're like big event. <laughs> yeah, they're very, very legit events. I never went to this one, but the, I think their previous one before it. But yeah, they do a great job of like marketing to their existing customer base. And in the product, it's, yeah. there was no way I was going to log in and not see Magic Studio. And now I pay for like whatever the, the premium-ish plan. So I don't know what it's like for someone who's a free user, and I'm assuming they got to pay for Magic Studio. I'd be curious to know. I don't think you do. I think as, as no? long as you have a plan, you can jump in. Unless I, I don't think I'm on a. Is, Let me check out their page. This, this was going to be one of my critiques of the launch. Oh, I don't okay. want to critique anyone's work here, but like I guess uh, a consideration is mm. that I don't think the pricing is very clear. So I was just in the other day. I also have a pro plan. Oh. And so for me, it was everywhere. There was like the little crown that said that it, some stuff was only available on Pro. But in my mind, I was like, okay, I have that. And yeah. then after I used it, then at the very, very bottom, I saw a thing saying, oh, you used one out of your 248 generations or whatever. Oh, oh really? They cap it by use. Okay. Uh. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. I'm like, I'm totally okay that that's how they package it. Like that's their value metric. But I didn't feel like it was abundantly clear to me upfront how yeah. it was going to be packaged so maybe a yeah. room for improvement on that one yep that's definitely yeah I'm on we had some, we had some feedback that. on that at, at ClickUp too because it's um 
I think the AI is capped at a certain number of usage. Part of that is like, um, it, it's really just to prevent like abuse so that you're not just like constantly pinging the like open AI API. But yeah, so I, I can't speak for, Cam, I, I'm not looking at like however many uses you have, but yeah, that's interesting. Those are all great ones. What's the other one? Okay. The other one, I feel like we can't talk about launches without talking about threads. Yeah. Let's talk about threads. Okay. Oh, and right, yeah. again, not here. Like, I don't want us to be like a we team up on other people's work because like launching is hard. <laughs> but I do want to like, let's reflect and talk about lessons from launches. So, you know, Threads launches, for people who don't know, you've been living under a rock. Threads is like the uh, Facebook's equivalent to Twitter. It's connected to your Instagram app. I think they got a lot of positive press on like the first 48 hours because basically... It gets released out of nowhere. If you have Instagram, immediately it will just port over all of your followers and everything to your Threads account. You know, daily users, subscribers, skyrockets, like cool, feels like an awesome launch day. But then what quickly becomes clear is that like how you use the two platforms isn't the same. And so... Mm who you're engaging with on those platforms isn't the same, right? Like I go to Instagram, I share pictures of like me going on vacation to Greece. When I go on Twitter, I'm talking about like product marketing. Like, I'm sorry, my mom doesn't need to know about my product marketing philosophies and vice versa. And so now, you know, what we saw was usage drop off significantly, right? So I guess for me, obviously segmentation nerd, audience nerd, like, What's the lesson we can take from that as product marketers? Yeah, yeah. The, the the thing that like jumped out to me was there was a little bit of mixed messaging in terms of like who they were trying to pull over. It seemed like in the very beginning, the first few days, they were trying to be pretty um, like upfront about being like, yeah, this is like the alternative to Twitter slash X. Mm-hmm. But you know, the more that they've talked through things and how they've messaged themselves and positioned themselves in the market. It seems like they're not even really trying to pull as many people from Twitter. They're really trying to engage Instagram users or Facebook users in different ways. And mm-hmm. so it's it's tricky because I, I see some of the opportunity like them like jumping in like when things at Twitter were super rocky. And they got I'm sure you know, we all know they got a bunch okay. of attention from Twitter users. Like I went over there on like the first couple of days to like check it out. And I actually loved it. It was like a lot of fun. But then for whatever reason, you know, you just kind of stop. And I'm like, well, I, I don't I don't really know why I'm over here on threads. Like it's kind of the same thing. And so in either case, I think if I had known ahead of time and if I had like positioned it in my head, like as no, this is like an extension of Instagram versus a replacement for Twitter, I think maybe I would have felt differently. But I think that was the big, that was a misstep in my head. I felt the same way as you guys. Like I just looked at it and I was like, what do I use this for? Why would I log on to this? What's the point? And I feel like on the, you know, the week that it launched, all the hype was just from marketers being like, all right, what are we going to do? Okay. Marketers, marketing, talk about marketing. (laughs) They were like, all right, this new channel, am I going to get in there? Like I saw Mr. Beast in there on day one. And I was like, all right, who paid him to be here? It was a lot of that. Whereas I'm sure if you were an everyday person, you were like, well, this is neat. What do I do here? Like, what am I getting out of this that I don't like to your original point, Tamara, it's like understanding who this was for and what the use case was. Yeah. I had no idea. And there's still like that, uh, that urge though, at least in my head, like when I see like a channel that's like, oh, 
not many, not much activity there anymore. Like it's like perfect. Like I should go in there and start taking advantage. But like, dude, I don't need another channel. <laughs> Please don't make me go on another channel. <laughs> and so there's still like some of that like lingering in the back of my head. I'm like, I feel like there are going to be a couple of winners that won because of threads. I just don't think I'm going to be one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I still don't. I don't think anything's going to happen with it. Jason's not a believer. Okay, I'm not Got a believer it. in threads. Going the way yeah. of Vine. You you think? Oh wow, dang! I think there's. I think there's. They're gonna figure something out. I really do. I'm holding out hope. That's all I'm gonna say. What's the launch yeah, okay. that you that you like that you want us to dissect? The one that I'm gonna talk about is, and it's funny. It's also about conversation intelligence, but it's Gong Engage. So Gong uh, is another conversation yeah. intelligence tool, but they're. I think they've gone to a different category: revenue intelligence, and um, they just released a sales engagement tool. So um, sales engagement being like email cadences that like your sellers could like send out like bulk sending of emails. And they're not the the first company to, you know, put together a sales engagement tool by like any stretch of the imagination. The legacy players in that space are Outreach, Sales Loft, Groove. And so what I loved about this was when they actually made the announcement they differentiate themselves very clearly from those other players. Number one, that Gong Engage was not like an integrated or an acquired product. And so just confirming to anybody who's like reading in that, yeah, like we built this from the ground up. It's an extension of the Gong platform that you know and love. It's not just something that we like picked up and like we're trying to like duct tape onto our solution or anything like that. Um, so I liked that. And then they also had this phrasing of last mover advantage. So again, like acknowledging like, yeah, we are not the, we're not the first, we're not the second, we're not the third sales engagement platform that you've heard of. But I can tell you that because we are technically like the last mover, like we can see what other people have done well and what they haven't done well. And we've taken like the best of both worlds into Gong Engage. And so all of that, like, I, I thought that it was like the best way of announcing a product that again you were not like first you're not creating a new category your people might see that and be like oh boy like here's another sales engagement product but like the way that they talked about it made it seem still compelling and worth looking into yeah it'd be interesting to see how that one goes because like you said it's a competitive space and i think it's sometimes challenging when there's differentiators like that they're almost like not specific enough in a way, or like def it's saying we're we're last to market, so we care more. So we're we built we built a smarter product, and it's integrated into our platform. And those are differentiators for sure, and they're good parts of like a a story that you can tell. But when it comes down to an evaluation, it's not like someone's going to be like I bought Engage because it's the last to market, and they built about you know what I mean. Like it needs to be yeah, yeah. there needs to be something more specific there. So I'm curious. Like I'd be wondering. Like I'd be curious to know how they differentiate an active sales cycle if they're if it comes down to more capabilities that they can do that others totally. can't, or is it is it that it's part of the broader Gong platform and there's benefits to that? I'd be curious to know. It was like the narrative that caught my attention that like you know their CEO and and CMO, CMO had posted initially that I was like oh that's a really interesting way of, of phrasing that. And if I were in the market for a new sales yeah. leader, I, I probably would have like clicked in and like looked at it, but I'm just so used to in the same way that you're talking about announcing a new integration. Oh, cool. Announcing a new yeah. product. Oh, cool. But like the way that it was just very self-aware. That's, that's what I really liked about this specific launch from them. Very self-aware. They kind of knew where they were at and they still explained why it was worth looking into. And well, I, yeah, I think that's a good point. 
they knew they launched it. They knew the last last one's kind of late to the game. If we were to tier this launch, we're like, okay, this is a Me Too feature, probably for their existing customers, right? Mm-hmm. Or to get product parity when they're going to try to close a deal. Like, what? I would not be tiering this as a tier one or a tier two launch, right? But mm-hmm. they've almost taken it as an opportunity to be like. What would need to be true to make this a tier one or tier mm-hmm. two launch? Yeah. I, we have no idea. I'm just making this up now. But yeah. like, thinking about the PMM in the background being like, how can we make this bigger? And so yeah. they're saying, okay, cool. Like, what if there's an actual narrative around it? That would, you know, we almost have a different philosophy on things, a different yeah. approach. I think that's yeah. cool. And like, I do think there's something to be said about launch messaging in that, I, what I have seen before is you'll write some messaging for launch and then it goes on every asset, whether it's the LinkedIn post, the blog post, the pricing page versus how is a prospect or a customer going to engage with that throughout the life cycle of the launch, right? Like the hmm. message you're sharing on LinkedIn should be narrative driven, right? It caught your eye, Andy, we're talking about it now. But ideally, they also have more differentiated positioning that they're talking about on the pricing page yeah. or when they're enabling the sales rep to your point, Jason. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's totally. And the uh, the the only last piece that I'll mention is like you know every single launch we want them to be all like differentiated and like you know not like anything that anybody else offers. But the reality is, for most companies that aren't like category leaders, a lot of your releases are going to be Me Too features or they're going to be parody features, and so you need to figure out a way to still make them interesting. Uh, and compelling for people to look into. And so that was the other piece. Like I've been up against that multiple times where I'm like, what am I going to say about this? Like what's interesting about like this this like new feature? And so I, I really like the creativity there. And to that point too, in those cases where you're launching something where it is a me too, you don't necessarily have to write your messaging for the people who already know about your competitors either. I find that that's another thing too. So when you assume that most people in most cases have to have do it manually or have the, you know, don't already have a solution for it, they probably don't know. And so you can just, it doesn't always have to be really differentiated, right? There might've been people who saw that engage post and were like, whoa, look at this. We need something like this. Like they're not even yeah. thinking like, how is it different from the other options out there? To your point about wanting to yeah. check it out, right? Now that you have that new product. Yeah, that's so true. All right, guys, let's wrap things up. So I really enjoyed talking with you both. I love, like like I said, listening to kind of like how your heads were working through some of these launches and in your perspectives for some of the other launches that, that we were talking about. Super stoked, like I said, also to to continue working on this course with you. Again, for the folks that, that are interested, it is ready for launch, the PMM's Guide to Product Launches. It's hosted on Maven. I'll drop the link if you want to register uh, into the show notes. But it's essentially me, Jason, Tamara, all talking about Uh, how you can build out a product launch from start to finish. So from research and strategy to execution and measurement. So it's the whole uh, front to back. And so we're really stoked to put it together. It starts on October 31st. And so definitely make sure to register if you're interested. Jason, where can folks follow you if they want to uh, continue checking out your stuff for Productive PMM? Yeah, uh, I would say best place LinkedIn. I'm linkedin.com forward slash Oakley Jason or ProductivePMM.com. Boom. Tamara, yeah. what about you? <laughs> Sorry, that was really funny. On LinkedIn.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, also join our course if you just want our antics. There you go. Yeah, our back and forth. Very charming. <laughs> Folks, for me, you can find me also on LinkedIn.com. <laughs> I don't actually 
you know what my URL is, we can just type Tamara Grudinsky. I'm the only person in the world with my name. That is true. Or you can go to pmmcamp.com. Beautiful. Awesome talking with you both. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Andy. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. I have one small favor for you now. If you could please rate this podcast five stars wherever you're listening to it, that'd be super helpful for me. For Spotify, you can only leave a review on the mobile app, and you can do that on the top of the Healthy Competition podcast profile. And for Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll to the bottom of the show's page and click write a review. Each podcast episode takes about five hours of my time from beginning to end while reviewing it should only take about five seconds of your time. Plus, you'd be making my day. So thank you so much in advance and see you in the next episode.